Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We are kicking off a new series across all our campuses today uh, called A Better Story. A Better Story. And my prayer, our prayer is that over this series, uh, those of us who are part of the Christian faith, who are in the Christian faith, will be reminded of the story that we are part of. We are part of a great story. In fact, we're part of the best story. A story that speaks of life, speaks of hope, wonder, power, grace, redemption, salvation. That is the story that we are part of and we can have confidence in that story. For those of us who are faith, who are in the Christian faith here tonight, we can have confidence in that story and confidence to share that story. And my prayer is that we will be reminded afresh of the awesome story that we're part of and that we'll have confidence to share it, to give it away to share it to those we live, work, and laugh with. And if you are here tonight and you're on a journey, maybe you'd say, you know what, that's great, but I'm not, I'm not sure I'm even on board with your story, Andrew. I wanna say to you, that's awesome, that's, that, that's fine. But my, my heart and prayer for you is that you would go, with, go on the journey with us and, and hopefully you will see that actually there is something about the Christian faith that is worth pursuing, that is worth following. A better story. You know, stories that we believe about ourselves matter greatly. The stories we believe about ourselves matter greatly because they influence and inform everything we do. Every decision we make, from how we spend our money and time to the careers we pursue, the investments we make and the people we spend time with, ultimately it informs what and where fulfillment and happiness can be found. See, the stories we believe matter because they form us. They shape us in deep and profound ways. Or to put it in spiritual language, the stories we believe about ourselves matter because they disciple us. They actually disciple us. And so what we believe shapes us in deep uh, deep ways. As Alistair McIntyre says, man in his actions and practice, as well as in his fictions, is essentially a storytelling animal. He is not essentially, but becomes through his history, a teller of stories that aspire to truth. I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? You grab that. We can only answer the question, what am I to do? How am I to behave? What decisions do I make if I can answer the prior question of what story am I part of? I wanna ask you tonight, what story are you part of? What story are you part of? Because the story that you're part of will tell you where you think you find your happiness, your meaning, your redemption, and your salvation. Why is it important? Why is it important to know our story or your story? Because we live in a world full of competing stories. We live in a world that holds dearly 
to a secular narrative. There is a secular script that is going on in our Western world and it is full of competing stories. See, the secular script goes like this. We are to celebrate personal expression of feeling and desire. We live in a hyper-individualistic culture which says it is all about me. It's all about self. And we live in a hyper-consumeristic culture which says it's all about what I can get. It's all about what I can experience. That is the secular script. And there are, I'm sure there's many, but I'd say there are two big rocks that sit at the heart of this story, that underpin the story. The first one is that we must reject authority. To experience freedom and happiness, we must throw away anything, any power structure, any claim, any overarching narrative, whether that be political, religious, or traditional, that imposes itself on our own self-expression. We must reject authority. It's the postmodern narrative. And on the other side, we must embrace authenticity. Authenticity is the mantra of the age. To live our best life, we must create our own truth. We must celebrate our own unfettered feelings and desires. And therefore, we curate our own authentic story. See, the secular narrative is underpinned by these two things. Reject authority Embrace authenticity. Why is it important to understand this narrative now? The reason is, is because that we are all secular. We're all secular. You see, historically, we saw secular in polarity to the religious or to the sacred, right? So we go back through the centuries and you're either secular or you were sacred. It was either secular or religious, you had a secular job, or you listened to secular music, or you listened to Christian music or religious music. And so I think that's still the framework for many people, particularly within the church today. We see the world as either secular or sacred. But I want to tell you that I think that that is a false dichotomy now. Charles Taylor really helpfully unpacks this in a secular age. And I've I've unpacked this in, in the past where he speaks about historically that was the case, but things are changed now. We now live in a secular age. We now live in a secular society. And a society is secular insofar as religious belief or beliefs in God is understood to be one option amongst many. So the secular narrative now, the secular culture that we're in, secularism overarches any, everything. And, and religion is drawn into that. You can be religious. You can follow this religion or you can follow bits of different religions or you can choose your own religion or you can have no religion and it all fits within the secular framework, all equal but all equal in critique, all equally critiqued. And so we live in a pluralistic society that enables multiple truth claims. And so we need to understand that we're all secular now. We live in a secular culture. It's the water in which we swim, both outside the church and inside the church. We are all impacted We're all affected, we're all 
infected by the secular narrative that we live in. And this is critical. To understand the secular script is, is, is critical to understanding our own discipleship. Because there are narratives that are being told. Maybe some of us are trying to live the Christian narrative, but the reality is there are a whole bunch of other stories that we're starting to believe because we are bombarded with it every day in every media form, through friends, through education, through social media, in every part. And I've been reflecting even over this week as I've been preparing this message and going, my goodness, I have imbibed, I have believed the secular message in my own life. This individualistic, consumeristic drive, it sits, it works its way in. And it affects my story. I believe it affects our story. And it's important to understand as we we try to understand who we are in our discipleship because as I talk to, to you, as I talk to my colleagues, as I talk to friends, as I talk to parents, as I talk to emerging generations, I see this at work. There is a tension, there is a frustration, there is a, there is a, a pull away from the Christian narrative and the Christian story towards the secular story. And so easily we find ourselves moving away and believing other stories that speak deeply into who we are and how we live. And statistically we can see that particularly emerging generations are leaving the church. They're believing another story and they're walking away from the Christian story. And we may hear that and go, my goodness, well, do we have any, what what do we do about this? Well, I'm here to tell you that there is hope. We can have confidence, one, because we're part of a better story, but two, because the secular narrative, the secular story is failing. If we have eyes to see, we can see that the secular narrative is failing. I've got a long quote for you, but I want you to grab hold of it. This is from uh, Mark Sayers, who I'm sure some of you have heard of, a pastor down in Melbourne. He writes this, our culture, which holds to a myth that it will inevitably progress towards a utopian future in which individuals also progress morally, is caught in an emotional and moral regression. It is not just at the macro level that the secular myth of progress is being challenged. We see the rise of anxiety and mental health disorders, falling IQ levels, epidemic loneliness and social disconnection, widespread online bullying, and the persistence of discrimination, bigotry, and hatred. Addictions to drugs, food, technology, sex, gambling, and relationships are widespread. Obesity is rising, becoming a full-blown health issue. In the West, poor mental health is now normative among emerging generations. Life expectancy in the West, two most powerful nations, the United States and the United Kingdom, has fallen for the last three years running. With all these factors in place, we can see how many have, are having their moment of doubt for the post-Christian revival seems to be running aground. There is something about the secular narrative as we look at it, and if we're honest with it, we can see that it is failing. And in that space and in this moment, we can see that the Christian narrative offers an alternative vision, an alternative story, a better story. 
You see, as Christians, we have been invited into a particular and distinct kind of story. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. It's a story of sacrifice, of redemption. It's a story that provides great meaning, hope, and purpose. It's a story that literally changes everything. Can I hear an amen? Just let's get our Pentecostal on here tonight. It's a story that changes everything. And over the coming weeks, we're gonna journey through this great story of Scripture from creation to fall to God's covenant with the people of Israel and the apex where God comes himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church and then Christ's return, judgment and eternity. That's the great overarching story of wonder power, love, and salvation. You excited for that? That's what we're gonna be doing over the coming weeks as we paint a picture of the story that we are part of. And so tonight, after that preamble, that's my introduction. I've now got 15 points. That's not true. I've just got three. We're gonna start at creation because as Julia Andrews once sang, it's a very good place to start. And in Genesis chapter one, we read the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're gonna see tonight that as we look at this creation narrative, it's a story that says, one, we've been created on purpose. Secondly, we've been created with personal identity. And thirdly, we've been created for loving presence. So have you got your Bible uh, with you? The words are gonna be on the screen behind me. We're gonna read Genesis chapter one, just three verses. We're gonna be sitting in three verses for the rest of the night. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, as God creates humanity. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fuel the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We read here that God creates humanity. We see here that God creates humanity on purpose. We have been created on purpose. You know, I've never been particularly skilled at design, handiwork, DIY, and building. And secondly, I've never been very patient. And so that's crea that created problems early on in our marriage when we ordered a whole bunch of Ikea flat pack furniture. There's, there's a few uh, married couples here today and maybe you can relate to me, but when we first got married, Megan and I ordered a whole bunch of Ikea furniture and it all arrived in boxes. And, uh, and the, I just ripped open the boxes and, and I'm sure we've all had some experience with flat pack furniture. You just rip open the, this is me. I'm impatient, rip open the box, just pull all the bits out and grab that bag with all the screws and bits and that redundant kind of Allen key, throw that away. And then you look at the instructions, your, th your thumbs are, yeah, no, I got that sorted. And then you start building. I remember early on with Megan, I was like, sweetheart, I got this. And I start building, but things don't quite look the way that they should and things go missing. And I'm, I put it together, but it, uh, it doesn't, it looked a little bit like this. It's just all like this. 
It's an ab- and so after further terse conversations with my wife, I, have to, I had to undo everything and restart again by going back to the manual, the instructions, the script, and starting again. You know, I learned a whole bunch of things during that time. One of them was listening to my wife. That's always a good one and one that I am still learning to this day, but I'm learning that it is valuable. But there's two other things, valuable lessons I learned. Firstly, not trusting the script led me to frustration and pain. And secondly, thank God that he made us and not me. And thank God that he just didn't send us down in flat pack because that would have been a disaster. See, the biblical story is one of design. It's one of meaning and purpose. God is the great storyteller speaking creation into being. We see that there is intention and design. I don't know if you picked up on this in verse 26. God says, let us make mankind. I mean, let us, God, who are you talking to, God? I mean, he's having a conversation. He's speaking out plans and designs. Now, some theologians say that God is speaking to the heavenly beings. He's having a conversation with heavenly beings. Other theologians say, no, this is an expression of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally past, present, and future are having a conversation about creating the apex of all creation, that being humanity. Either way, we see that God is having a conversation. He is making a plan. It's interesting, isn't it? Because then when we read in verse 28, it's almost exactly the same words and phrases, but it's there. See, here's the thing. God's word is not distinct from his action. It's like an architect and a builder planning a construction. There is deliberation and then there is action. There is application. To encounter God's word is to encounter his action. There is design. God is intentional. This is no mistake. This is no accident. This isn't like God didn't go, oops, how did this happen? No, 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 no. There is planning. There is design. And when we look at creation, when we look at our own bodies, when we look at how we're made, we see complexity. You know, there are very, very smart minds who come to the conclusion and say, we cannot be where we are. We cannot be in creation now without some kind of designer. To be honest, I just think it makes rational and scientific sense that if there is complexity and order, then there must be design. Let me give you an example. there There are many, many different elements. There are many, many different conditions that actually go into creating a a place where life can thrive that we know on earth today. Many different conditions that need to be tuned in the right way. There's DNA, there's the sun, there's oxygen, and there's a whole range of other forces. Let me give you an example, gravity. Gravity is one of those forces that we need to be perfectly tuned for life to exist. And the odds for gravity to be tuned to the way it is so that we can flourish with life on earth is one, this is the odds, one to one with 60 zeros after it. Now, I don't even know what one with 60 zeros after it is. I just know that that's a really big number. So I use simple analogies like rolling a dice. 
The same odds are if I would stand here and roll a dice and it would land on the six 80 times in a row. And so I've brought a dice. And so we're gonna do it. We're just gonna give it a go. We're gonna see what the odds are. Can someone just start the stop clock and we'll just, no, no, we won't because the mathematicians actually figured it out. I'd have to be here for trillions and trillions of years just rolling a dice to see it land on six 80 times in a row. And I've gotta, I've gotta be honest, I just don't have that time. <laughs> and that's just one, that's just one condition out of hundreds. I know it's funny, but the reality is, is that we live in a deeply, highly tuned, complex world. To me, and I think to a, a rational mind, it makes sense that we have been created on purpose. We've been created on purpose. There is a designer. And when we get to that understanding, that vision of creation, it shapes our story in deep ways. It does give us a sense of meaning and value. And it invites us into wonder. See, when we can live with a sense that there is a creator, that there is a God who actually placed us into being, that actually created us, tells us that there is a transcendent God who is in control. And that speaks a lot, that lifts our eyes up, it gives us a new kind of perspective, it invites us into wonder and worship, that is why we sing, that's why we worship, because there is a transcendent God who we know is sovereign, who we know is in control. And I tell you what, when we go through moments when we feel like we're out of control, and my goodness, haven't we felt that over the past year? when we are walking through times of feeling out of control and when anxiety and fear rise in our hearts because that's what happens when we experience a sense of being out of control. To know that there is a God who is greater, to know that there is a greater purpose, to know that there is a greater meaning gives us great security. It gives us great hope in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our insecurity. It lifts us up. It changes the story. But the secular story, I believe, has found or has lost its wonder. The secular narrative have lost, it, lost its wonder. Why? Because it's all about the here and the now and it's all about me and now. Now, statistically, a report just came out, maybe you saw it, the reports by McCrindle over Easter, Said it says that shows that that 60% of people believe in a higher being or a god. But even though our society, by and large, or at least 60%, would believe that there is some kind of higher power, I would argue that as a society, still we live without reference to God. We are practical atheists. We live for the now, it's all about the now. We don't live with any sense of the transcendent and that is what the secular celebrates. It celebrates the imminence. It celebrates the, the, the experience of the now without reference to anything that is transcendent. And so we see this in our world today. We, we find ourselves trying to create our own transcendent gods in our imminent world, but they're just imminent gods. I, I, I shared this a few weeks ago. But we find other things like movie stars and sports heroes and politicians and activists and even Christian celebrities, God forbid, to look up to. We find other things to try and find our transcendent values on. But in our secular disenchanted world, we have lost a true sense of the transcendent. 
I used this quote from Charles Taylor in his book, The Secular Rays, last time when he speaks about this. He calls it the imminent malaise. And he says this, some people feel terrible flatness in the everyday. And this experience has been identified particularly with commercial, industrial, or consumer society. They feel emptiness of the repeated, accelerating cycle of desire and fulfillment in consumer culture. The cardboard quality of bright supermarkets or neat row housing in a clean suburb, these seekers too seek solutions or ways of filling the lack. But within eminence, within experience. You see, the secular story cannot, with all its bells and whistles and cathedrals of stadiums, shopping malls and concert halls, satisfy the deep need in every human heart for the transcendent. See, the secular, secular story fails us. It's lost its wonder, but the biblical story lifts us up. It gives us this wonderful sense of a God who is above all. It lifts our eyes and it gives us a sense of purpose. We are created with a purpose. Secondly, we've been created with personal identity. We read in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We read here that we have been given an identity, a personal identity, and it's no less than the image of God. We are all created in the image of God. We bear the imago day. We are bearers of the, of the divine. No matter how you feel, no matter what you say about yourself, no matter what you've done, no matter what other people say about you, you are created in the image of God, which means that you have been created with value. That changes the story. You know, in grade eight, I got to, you know, showcase my handiwork, my building skills. In grade eight, I was sent along to shop A or manual arts, as they used to call it. Liz, you're laughing. Did you have to do manual arts in grade eight? Who, who had to do manual arts in grade eight? Anyone have to build a pencil case like this? Anybody? A few of you. Well, I've still got mine three years later. <laughs> Plus a zero. 30 years ago, 30, I know, 30 years ago, I built this box and it's rubbish. I mean, the joins are terrible. I had to fill them with glue and, and kind of shavings because the gaps were huge. There's not a straight line. Nothing fits. The, you know, the, the, this is not quite straight, the lid. I mean, if, you, if this sat on a marketplace, the only reason why someone would buy it, if they would buy it at all, would probably 50 cents to use as firewood. That's, that's, that's as valuable as this box is to anybody else but me. <laughs> Why? Because I made it. And guess what? This has been with me for 30 years. It sits next to my bed in my drawer and inside I've got all my letters that Megan has written to me. All two of them. No, 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 no. I said that this morning and I got in trouble afterwards from Megan. <laughs> Three, I, I know, I know. There's more than that. <laughs> This is valuable to me because I made it. I speak value into this box. See, we need to get hold of this. 
It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter what you say about yourself. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. God speaks value into your life because He made you. And He made you in His image. We are image bearers of the King. Come on. That is good news. That changes the story. We are created in the image of God that doesn't just change us, but it changes how we see other people as well because every one of us is made in the image of God. Why don't you just turn to the person to your left or right and even though you may not believe it, just say you're made in the image of God. They may not look like it right now. You are made in the image of God. That changes everything. All right, chill out. Let's, let's not get too excited. That changes the narrative. It changes how we treat others because when we see the image of God in every person, the personal identity that he speaks in every person, then we must treat them with dignity. We must. And that has changed the Western story. Tom Holland, who wrote, uh, he's a historian who wrote a great book um, that came out recently called Dominion. Not Spider-Man? <laughs> Tom Holland, is he the same guy, is he? Yes. Tom, Tom Holland, Tom Holland, who was an actor in Spider-Man, is also an amazing historian. I didn't, I didn't know that, wow. He's got incredible acting skills and he's super brain. My goodness. Wow, he learns something every day. Historian. Tom Holland, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, in his recent book, Dominion, looks at the impact. Stay with me, people. I've got an important point to say. He looks at the impact of the early church on the Roman Empire. And he observes that in the Christian faith, dignity was for all. There was no human existence so wretched, none so despised or vulnerable that it did not bear witness to the image of God. The early church saw dignity in every person. We need to understand that because not only was their story changed, but they've changed our story. Today we remember Anzac Day. We remind ourselves of the stories of, of those who have died for democracy. The whole value of democracy comes from the Christian ethic of the Imago Dei, the image of God where every person carries dignity. The story of the early church has impacted Western culture greatly. Their story is our story. When we understand the image of God, it changes everything. We, we are created with great value. And here's the wonderful thing, we're created to, to make great value or to bring great value because we're created in the image of God. God is the creator and he places Adam and Eve and he places us in a garden which is this world and he says, go create, bring order out of chaos. And when we understand what we've been created for, to bring order out of chaos under the script of creation that God has given us. He has given us the script to follow. When we follow the script, the order that he has given us, then we truly find freedom. Freedom is not being able to do whatever we want. Can you, we understand that? Freedom is understanding what we were created for. 
And when we work within the frameworks of creation that God has given us, we are free to use our bodies, our sexuality, our passions, our gifts and our abilities, our intelligence and our emotions, all to bring value as image bearers of God. But this vision of identity flies in the face of the secular script that preaches a different kind of identity. The secular script is obsessed with identity. But rather than identity that's being bestowed upon us, the secular script tells us that it is something that we must manufacture and create. The secular story tells us that we define our own personhood in isolation from the other. We determine our identity based on our desires. So how do we identify ourselves? Well, there are a whole range, and you will know these, all these identities that people pursue, they put on trying to create their own identity. It could be sexual expression. It could be politics. It could be what you wear or how you appear. It could be the circle of people you are seen with. It could be the career you pursue. It could be the experiences you enjoy. There are a whole range of identity markers that this secular script says you must produce to be valuable. See, as we define our identity on these terms, we then demand the world to affirm us, validate us, and value our chosen identity. This is an identity based on extrinsic or external validation rather than intrinsic or internal value. And when we make our identity on these terms, there will always be offense if our identity is not affirmed. And we see the world in polemic terms. It's me versus you. It's us versus them. It's group versus group. It's left versus right. It's liberal versus conservative. We could go through it and we see it being played out in our society today. It's the secular script gone bad. It's failing. And the result is anxiety and insecurity. Tim Keller says, modern identity is highly performative. You must realise your inner dreams and desires or constantly perform your suffering. This leads to fragility and a need for constant reaffirmation. No wonder any criticism at all is crushing or feels controlling. That is the secular script. What a terrible way to live. But we are seeing it being played out before our eyes in our world, in our Western world today. There are so many anxious and insecure people. But that is not the story that we as Christians are invited into. We're invited into a better story. As Tim Keller goes on, he says, Christians' deepest identity is in Christ, who loves and accepts us conditionally, despite all our flaws. Christian identity is received, not achieved, taking enormous pressure off us to perform and merit our affirmation. It's a better story. It's a better story. It's a story of a God who says, I love you. I've created you. I value you. You have meaning and purpose. See, the whole narrative is wrapped up. The Christian story, if it can be summarized in one word, it's love. 
God loves us. He's created a framework for us in the, and it starts at creation. If we understand creation, if we understand the way that God has created us, everything else falls into place. When we understand who we are, everything falls into place. It's a wonderful story. It's a story that we're invited into and it's a story that we need to tell others. It's a story to be shared because we see lives changed and transformed. You know, it's been a real joy uh, over the past few months to get to know Hope. And uh, Hope has been walking an exciting story and a journey, and I thought it would be great just to hear her journey. So why don't you give Hope a huge hand as she comes up to share her story. She's got it. She's got a mic. I just need to remind myself. Come on up. Oh, my phone's died, so... Here we go. You can remind me of the questions I sent you. Come on, come on in. Come on in, Hope. So, Hope, you, uh, you arrived at City, I think, when? Just at the beginning of the year. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment. Um, I'm in terms of... Life. life? I, know, I know that wasn't part of the question, but it'd be good <laughs> for everybody to know who you are. Uh, I study business at QUT. So I moved to Brisbane in February. From? From the sunny coast. Very good. So you, uh, you arrived, uh, I think I met you on one of the first, if, if not the first week, you came, came to church and you uh, began to tell me a little bit of your story, which is a, a fascinating story, a cool story. So tell us a little bit about your, your background, your family, and, and how you ended up coming to Gateway City at the beginning of the year. Uh, so some of you know this, but I was raised uh, Catholic, so my parents took my brother and I to church on and off um, throughout our childhood, um, and I feel like I've always believed in God, but that's about where it stopped. Um, so I called myself a Christian, but I guess by my life you wouldn't have seen that. Um, and having a personal relationship with God wasn't a concept that I was familiar with until quarantine last year. So because of that, I guess it carried a lot of shame and guilt, not knowing the love and forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. So funny enough, I actually heard the gospel through social media. Um, and at that point, I understood it in its entirety. Um, before that, I'd only had pieces of it. So... Can I pause there for a moment? So yeah. what, what, what caused you to even have an interest in, and how did, how did that even happen? Because there'd be plenty of people who see stuff come up on social media and go, well, that's just weird, I'll just keep moving on. What, what was it that just attracted you to, to, to what you saw on social media? I have to admit, at the beginning, I had a bit of that attitude where it was, I'll scroll past it, not interested. Um, but my feed was kind of flooded with it, and I thought, this is a bit odd. And I took that as a sign that God was calling me into a relationship with him. Via, via Zuckerberg. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord is you. Strange and mighty ways. Awesome. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, I think I better start listening to this. Um, so I, yeah, started to pursue that, um, try to learn a bit more about what the gospel was. Um, and when I understood that God loved me and offered forgiveness and a personal relationship, then that's when everything yeah. changed. Yeah, that's cool. What, what, what changed for you? So t what was the shift and how has 
your life changed since you realised that you're invited into a loving relationship with God? So I can't say the same for everyone that's experienced Catholicism, but for me, um, as I said, the idea of a personal relationship with God wasn't something that was spoken about. So I did feel really distant uh, from God. So when I realised that that's actually what the Christian life is about and I started pursuing that, that's when things changed. Um, and as you were saying, the Christian message is pretty much summarised by the word love. Um, and I found that that really impacted the way that I live my life, um, the priorities that I have, and just the way that I look at things. Yeah, that's so good. And so you, you just decided to come to, I think City was the, like the second church that you'd been to, the second church service yeah. that you walked into, which is just amazing. And, uh, and you've been coming pretty regularly ever since, which is also lovely. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> um, we love you, Hope. Uh, <laughs> love uh, you guys too. Uh, and uh, just, you, you, uh, you signed up for, for Alpha. Um, and uh, I'm going to say a little bit more about Alpha in a moment, but just tell us, uh, what that experience was like? I found that experience really valuable. Um, I didn't go into Alpha with too many questions, but I think just discussing the questions that other people had and learning from other people's experiences, I found that really valuable and it got me thinking about things a bit more. Um, and it was really encouraging hearing how God has worked in other people's lives and just seeing his power at work. Yeah, that is so good. Hey, why don't you thank Hope for sharing her story today. Thank you, Hope. So good. A life changed and transformed. And it's been interesting just both tonight and this morning hearing the stories of people in city campus who first encountered something of the good news of Jesus on social media and have found themselves coming to church. Hey, I, I want to invite you to Alpha. And uh, Hope's done Alpha and uh, has found it encouraging, you know, there, there, there is an opportunity. Just wave this card at me. You would have received this card. I want to encourage you. If you haven't done Alpha before, you need to do Alpha. We're running Alpha online uh, as a city starting the 11th of March. Love to have you. Of May. Starts with M. <laughs> Details. The 11th of May. I want, to, I, want to, I want to ask you who, are you, who are you inviting? Who are you asking? We are part of a better story and we need to have confidence to share it. Who do you know? Family members, work colleagues, people you study with have courage because it changes people's lives. It's changing Hope's life in months. Hope has been invited into a personal relationship. She said it, a personal relationship of love. That is God's heart. See, in the creation story, finally we see that we are created for personal love. We're created for a loving presence. God wants us to be in relationship with Him. He's done it with hope. He's done it with many of us. He's invited us into a relationship with Him. We are invited into a profound relationship. We see this in creation. God is community. God is presence. God is relationship. He has that conversation. We know that Trinitarian theology, God is relationship. And we're created in the image of God. We're created in His, in His image. 
And therefore, we are created for relationship. We're created male and we're created female, created for intimate relationship with one another. God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates community for humanity. Male and female, he created them. We're created for relationship. And thirdly, we're created for relationship with God. There's this beautiful verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, where we read that Jesus comes down in the cool of the day into the garden. His presence is there, seeking out humanity. We have been created for relationship with God. And the whole story of Scripture, the whole story that we're going to be journeying through is this. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us and He wants to be with us. The story of Scripture is one of pursuit where God desires to be with His people. And God is here right now. We're gonna get to that a little bit later on in the story, but we can know God's presence now. Hope has experienced that love. I'm sure many of us here have experienced the presence of God. That is the beauty. That is the wonder of the story. And it speaks in profound ways to a broken society, a secular culture that is incredibly lonely. God said it is not good to be alone, but we are suffering loneliness in pandemic proportions. One in four Australians are isolated and alone. The secular narrative is failing. See, in our individualistic state, in our self-expressive state, rejecting the other, we find ourselves alone. We're seeing it. The secular story is failing. More and more people are alone. And tragically, I did some research this week, but more and more people are killing themselves. They're taking their life. From the age groups of 15 to 44, The highest killer of people in Australia is suicide and self-harm. Perhaps even more shocking than that is in the age bracket from 45 to 64, suicide is the third highest killer. Where there are many more other health conditions, still suicide rates highly. That is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. The secular script is failing. People are struggling to find hope and meaning. They're trying to perform their identity. They're trying to find approval in all that they do and it is failing. But we are invited into a better story where the creator of the universe says, I've created you on purpose. I've created you with a particular, special, personal identity. And I've created you to be in relationship with you. I love you. I desire you and I wanna be in relationship with you. We are invited into a better story. Hey, tonight, I know that there are many of you here who have made that step. You've stepped into the story of God. But even even at your age, the reality is that the other stories are pressing in. The secular narrative which is around us, in every part of us that works its way into us, into our thinking, into our emotions, into our vision, into our hope, into our sense of meaning. It affects, it works its way. And even this week, as I said before, I just have seen myself, I've become so aware of this individualistic, materialistic, consumeristic vision of life 
that goes so against the story of God. I reckon for all of us, particularly in emerging generations, as you are growing up just completely sponged in the secular narrative, it's so hard to delineate and separate out. And I reckon there's a moment for us tonight, a moment for you if you want to to stand. I'm gonna get you to stand if you want to. Say, God, I wanna recover. I wanna be reminded of the better story. I I wanna know afresh the better story. I wanna know it so I can live with freedom. I wanna know it so I can live with courage. I wanna know it so I can know God's love for me. I don't wanna live in the secure insecurity and the anxiety anymore. I wanna live with confidence, knowing that my identity, knowing that my meaning, knowing, knowing that my value is not located in how I perform or what I do, but it's in what God says over me. And even though that might be really hard in this world right now, God, will you help me? And so if that's you tonight, if you want to take a stand, as, and the stand is saying, I'm stepping in again. I'm stepping into the story. I'm just gonna invite you just to stand wherever you are right now. Come on. Okay, there's a bunch of us. Just this is, this is a moment for you. I believe it's a significant moment. We've seen it across the day for people just to stand and say, I want to know the better story again. If that's you, come on, just stand where you are. I'm gonna give a few more moments. I reckon there's more. Anyone else say that that's me? I want to know the better story. I reckon there's people here. Here's here's another diagnostic and then I'll land it here. I won't elongate this. Here's a diagnostic. You've lost confidence in your story. And so when you're at work or at university, your greatest fear is someone finding out that you're a Christian. If that's your story, then you've forgotten the better story. I'm gonna give a few more moments. If that's you, just to stand. All right, there's something symbolic. Just standing and saying, I'm stepping back in. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.